Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still that we might hear from you. Amen. Hear this quote from science writer Molly Edmonds. Physicists work under the assumption that there are at least ten dimensions to reality that the majority of us will never see. Please note that this is not a religion writer describing some sort of spiritual speculation. Please note instead that this is a science writer reporting on the field of contemporary physics. At least ten dimensions of reality, Edmonds writes, almost all of which we, in our human limitation, cannot see, cannot access, cannot fully conceptualize, but nonetheless are there. Fascinating, right? Our brains, Edmonds goes on, aren't trained to see anything other than our world, so it will likely take something from another dimension to make us understand. It will likely take something from another dimension, she writes, to make us understand. Hear these words from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of violent wind. And all of the disciples were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of those gathered were bewildered. And many asked, how is this possible? And many others asked, what does this mean? Did we get all of that? Again, Acts chapter 2 in a nutshell. There comes from another dimension an overpowering, inexplicable spirit. And this spirit inspires these ordinary human beings to begin saying and doing things that they otherwise could not and would not do. And in witnessing this, some of those look on in wonder and ask, how is this possible? While others, filled with incredulity, ask, what does this mean? How is this possible? What does this mean? Dear family, when it comes to the mystery of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on humanity, these are both important questions. And with no shortage of humility and wonder, this sermon will attempt to provide an explanation for both of these questions. But in so doing, it is important to note that given the nature of the case, the nature of the question at hand, such an explanation will necessarily require, as science writer Molly Edmonds puts it, quote, something from another dimension to make us 
understand. Enter then the risen Jesus. The fully human Jesus who, having not shrugged off his humanity, has ascended into heaven and who even now intercedes for us. Us, his human brothers and sisters, like calling out to like. After last week's sermon on Jesus' ascension, I had several people ask me, Why does it matter so much that Jesus retained his humanity in the ascension? Why does it matter so much that Jesus remains human even now? Several people ask me that. And it's a valid question. And part of the answer to that question is that it matters because if the Pentecost story is true, which I believe that it is, then the sharing of the Holy Spirit with humanity is made possible because of Jesus' retained humanity. Which is to say, if any of this is true, then we as human beings now have access to the Holy Spirit Because we now have one of our own, a real, live human being in God's dimension. That is, a real, live human being who has thereby been filled with the Holy Spirit due to his immediate proximity to the Holy Spirit's source. And thus, there is a real, live human being who is therefore able to share that Spirit across the boundary of these two different dimensions. Listen to how leading New Testament scholar N.T. Wright tries to explain the effect of all of this. I quote, If heaven and earth are already joined in the ascension, with part of earth, meaning the human body of Jesus, now fully and thoroughly at home in heaven, then heaven and earth are joined again in the opposite direction when the powerful wind of the divine spirit comes upon the disciples. End quote. In other words, the ascended human Jesus is the nexus of sorts at which these two dimensions of created reality, heaven and earth, interlock. So I know this is already a pretty heady sermon. And I'm about to make it even headier. My apologies for that. In Genesis 1-1, the text claims, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Note that this does not just say, In the beginning, God created the earth. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens too. In other words, the ancient Jewish view of reality held that various heavens, that is, various other realms of reality, various other dimensions of reality, were also part of creation. Not just earth, not just the visible universe. No, instead, other dimensions. Dimensions that overlay and that overlap and that interpenetrate with this one. 
Meanwhile, in this ancient view of reality, the highest heaven, usually referred to as heaven, in shorthand, in this ancient view of reality, the highest heaven, heaven, was understood to be the location in which the Creator's presence most fully dwelt. The point here being, in the ancient Jewish account of reality, heaven, as part of creation, is not spaceless. It is not placeless. It is not immaterial. It is not utterly divorced from or disconnected from the dimensions that we on earth inhabit and apprehend. It is simply a different dimension, a much higher and much more complex dimension of the same created reality that we on earth have direct access to. Sound crazy? Sure, of course it does. Until we realize that this is essentially what contemporary physics now teaches us that reality is really like. Again, I quote, There are at least ten dimensions to reality, Molly Edmonds writes, but because we cannot see them, it will take something from another dimension to make us understand. Okay, that's the end of that digression. Look with me now at a different passage from Genesis chapter 1. Look with me now at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. After having considered all of creation, and after having deemed it all good, God then says, Let us make humankind after our own image, and let us give these human beings caretaking responsibility for all of it. In other words, Genesis claims that human beings are not just included as part of creation. Human beings, according to Genesis, were created to tend this part of creation. That's the remarkable claim made about humanity's role and worth in Genesis chapter 1. And if indeed this claim is true, which I believe that it is, then let me ask us an important question that follows from it. Would you say that we've done a good job at this? Would you say that we, as humankind, have tended our part of creation, this earth, well and have taken proper responsibility for it all? I can't fathom that any of us would say that we have. And so assuming you agree with me on that, that we haven't done such a bang-up job, that is, let me then ask us another question. Why then? Why in that case have we failed so spectacularly? We don't want to. Why have we so continuously and so conspicuously marred the creation that we were originally designed to care for? Why? I know y'all y'all are good people. You don't want to. I don't want to. But you do. I do. Why? 
Well, the answer traditionally given by our shared faith says that it's because there is a brokenness in our nature. A malady of sorts that somehow got inside of our nature and now besets our best efforts. That's what our tradition teaches. Now this explanation for things, of course, can't be proven. But as Christians, this is what our tradition teaches as being the best and truest possible account for why we continue to mar things so badly. So assuming that as Christians we find this account of things to be persuasive, what can possibly be done about it? For in this case... As the caretakers of creation, only human beings have the capacity to put things right. To bend things back into alignment with how they're supposed to be. But, meanwhile, due to humankind's inherent malady, our human efforts to put things right only continue to compound the problem. It's a double bind of the highest magnitude. So whatever will we do? However can this be healed and undone? Well, if only there were a human being among us who were able to somehow transcend it all. Someone able to get beyond the malady. Someone able to overcome death itself. And someone who then, having transcended it all, could thereby, by virtue of his humanity, share of His healthy, transformed, glorified human nature with the rest of us. You know, if only there were a human being like us in every respect who could access this extraordinary nature and then share it with us across the expanse of one dimension of reality, the dimension from which it derives to another, to ours. What if? Dear family, what I am saying to you right now is either absolutely Looney Tunes or it is the truest possible articulation of reality. And I stand before you prepared to acknowledge that it's either one. But meanwhile, I stand before you telling you that I am convinced that it is the latter. For there is no doubt something wrong with humanity. That reality is obvious to us all. And there is no doubt more to reality than what meets the five senses. Physicists now confirm that this is true. And there is no doubt that humanity plays a central role in the workings of reality. Just look at all that we as human beings are capable of. So then... If a human being could indeed transcend the three dimensions of reality that we in our current limitation can apprehend, which again, even contemporary physics tells us is logically and mathematically possible, 
then it is indeed quite possible that such a human being could, from another dimension, acquire and supply us with the resources necessary to begin the process of saving our broken humanity and getting things back on track. And that, to put a point on this sermon, is a viable and, to my mind, persuasive explanation for how the sharing of the Holy Spirit is possible and for what the sharing of the Holy Spirit means. It is possible because there is a human being, a real, live human being, one of our own kind, sharing this extraordinary gift from one dimension of created reality to another in a way that was impossible until someone like him, someone human, ascended to this place. And it means that in receiving this extraordinary spirit, Human beings now have access to a vital resource, to the vital resource for once more pursuing our true human vocation. For the Holy Spirit, we must understand, is more than just our best energies and or the summoning of our better angels It is quite literally a spiritual force deriving from a source entirely outside of ourselves. And if any of what I am saying is right, which I absolutely believe that it is, then the retained humanity of Jesus matters because it is the means and it is the vessel by which that spiritual force gets inside of and begins to heal our malady-riddled human nature. It is like calling out to and interpenetrating and beginning to heal like I said it earlier and I'll say it again. Here's Acts chapter 2 in a nutshell. There comes from another dimension an overpowering, inexplicable spirit. And this spirit inspires these ordinary human beings to begin saying and doing things that they otherwise could not and would not say and do. And in witnessing this, some of those looking on ask and wonder, how is this possible? While others filled with incredulity ask, what does this mean? Acts chapter 2, in a nutshell. Dear family, on this Pentecost Sunday, let us enter this rapturous text and let us allow the mystery of the event to open our minds to the greater complexity of God's creation. Let us not reduce it to that which we think we know and understand. Yes, on this Pentecost Sunday, let us look on in wonder and ask with those there that day how this is possible and what it all means. And then on this Pentecost Sunday, let us recognize that on that Pentecost Sunday, quote, something from another dimension entered our dimension to, quote, help us understand. More even than that, though, let us recognize that that something from another dimension entered our dimension to begin saving humankind from our besetting malady and to begin restoring us to our intended vocation. 
Then finally on this Pentecost Sunday, let us recognize that this something from another dimension was indeed a communication to us as human beings from one of our own from a human being just like us, from one who, in having ascended from this earthly dimension to God's dimension, has thereby joined heaven and earth in a way that has not only inaugurated the restoration of our humanity and the reestablishment of our human vocation, but in a way that in so doing anticipates and prefigures nothing less than the consummation of the coming kingdom of God. And all God's people said, Amen. And I will now be.